This is Hans Finzel. Welcome to the Leadership Answer Man. This is a show for leaders about taking leadership to the next level. Whether you're a seasoned leader or just starting out, I promise to give you practical leadership tips that you can use this week. No matter what your leadership situation is, I can help. Remember, leaders make things happen. My passion is to help you lead more effectively. Welcome to episode 23, how to make the best decisions as a team. Oh, decisions, decisions, decisions. Wouldn't life be great if we never had to make any decisions? Leadership is so much about making decisions, and how we do that really puts a mark on what kind of leaders we are. I have uh, met so many people who are frustrated by the lack of of great decision-making processes in their organizations, in their ministries, their businesses, their churches. Here's what we're going to cover today. Uh, what are the symptoms of being a dictator that doesn't do well at a decision-making process? Number two, why is it so popular to be a dictator and control things and be a control freak? Number three, we're going to talk about uh, how dictators can tend to dominate. Number four, how to make decisions with the input from the team. And fifthly, I want to talk about flat organizational style, how to move your organization to have fewer layers. I want to remind you that the show notes for this show, as always, are on my website at hansfenzel.com. Check it out. There's lots of other good resources there. If you're looking for any leadership coaching or mentoring or maybe some consulting for your organization, I am available and check it out. I'm also doing a speaking on leadership. So check out my website, hansfenzel.com. Also, if you go into the podcast tab, you'll see my directory that has all the previous shows in case, you know, you can find that directory on iTunes as well. But if you want to, you can find it on my website as well. Let me tell you a couple of stories. I just ran into a young lady but the other day. I was um, speaking to a group of young adults here, young college students here in Colorado. Uh, really a great opportunity. And, and afterwards, one of the gals came to me, almost tears in her eyes, uh, 22 years old, Sarah. And she uh, was so frustrated. She'd only been there for a few months in this particular ministry assignment. And she said, nobody trusts me. And, and I don't have the power to make any decisions at all. I'm told that I just need to do what I'm told. Everything is prescribed. Everything has a procedure. And there is no deviation from the prescribed method by which everything is done. She felt trapped. She felt powerless. And probably some of you listening today are, are, are in the same boat. But if you're the leader, does anybody under you feel that way? If the leadership makes all the decisions and nobody down under, down below, is empowered with any decision-making, you find some very frustrated people. I've always been of the opinion that as much as possible, we leaders should push decision-making downstream as far as possible to the, where the action is. I remember reading about Southwest Airlines years ago, one of the most consistently profitable airlines in America, and they have a culture 
of empowerment and decision-making on the front lines. It's one of their cool features. The people at the ticket counter and the people at the gate where you're loading or unloading the plane have a tremendous amount of power to make decisions that in most airlines, they got to call a supervisor who has to call another supervisor. I know I won't mention the airline that I fly a lot, but it's certainly not like that. And, And what I get, a lot of people just tell me, you know what? The computer won't let me do that. (laughs) That's the standard answer. So they are the slaves of the computer. People like to sense that they have some power to make some decisions. I ran into uh, Tom not long ago, and Tom was telling me, you know, Hans, I, I get to make decisions, but I have to take every one of those decisions and run it by the boss before it's actually set in concrete. So even though he tells me I have a lot of decision-making authority, you know what, if I have to run every one of those decisions past him, I don't really have the authority to make decisions. And frankly, I'm miserable and I'm frustrated because, you know, and again, it's the same thing. People need to sense that they have some stake in the outcome. And if they are never allowed to make any decisions, then they really don't have a stake in the outcome. He said, Hans, I have no power. I feel powerless and frustrated. There was a sheriff who uh, called me one day a number of years ago. In fact, I tell the story in one of my books. I received a call from a sheriff in Florida. At first, I thought I was in trouble. Funny, last night, uh, Donna and I were going somewhere, and we uh, we were coming up to an intersection not far from our house, and a police car was coming the other way and just pulled right in front of us and stopped us. And I was freaking out. I'm like, I haven't done anything wrong. I don't think I was going faster than the speed limit. Speed limit was 35. And I was like, you know, you know what the feeling every time you get, uh, yeah, you guys are listening or never get pulled over by the police, right? Well, if you ever have, (laughs) you just get this terrible feeling. What have I done wrong? Well, it turned out there was a huge accident at the next traffic light, and he was telling everybody, you got to turn around. There's no way you can get through that intersection right now. There was just a big accident. So we did a U-turn and went on our merry way, and I just kind of laughed. at So this sheriff calls me from Florida, and I thought, well, I haven't been to Florida in a long time, but I feel like I'm in trouble. But he was an elder in his church and had just read my book, The Top Ten Mistakes Leaders Make, and all He was telling me all the lay leaders in his church felt that the pastor was going in the wrong direction. And this guy, the sheriff, who was also an elder in his church, just wanted my advice. He says they were being smothered by a close-minded leader. He asked me, are we right to oppose our pastor when we all disagree with him as one? <laughs> wow, that, that's a great question. How would you answer that question? I didn't tell him absolutely no that they weren't wrong, because if they all in unison are united in agreement that the pastor is going the wrong direction, then they definitely have a point. I advised them to try and reason with the leader uh, as a group, you know, the wisdom of many. And uh, I mentioned in the last podcast about caring enough to confront that Jesus said, if you have, uh, if your brother makes you angry, you got something against him, then go to him face to face, one-on-one and try to work it out. But if it doesn't work out, then you need to take somebody else. So there comes a time when the group has to uh, come to the leader. The Bible says in the presence of many counselors, there's wisdom. And I take that to mean that the best direction for the whole is the collective wisdom of all the leaders. And for some reason, that particular pastor was not listening to his leaders. 
And unfortunately, in this case, the pastor wasn't open to input. It's interesting that I just also, two days ago, got an email from a lady uh, down in uh, Texas who was telling me that, uh, you know, I work in this company. I just don't feel like my leader listens. And I, I was just saying that, and that's such a key part to making healthy decisions, how to make the best decisions as a team. Leaders don't need to do what everybody asks them to do, but they really need to listen and get input. I'm a huge believer in not being a dictator in decision-making, but receiving input. I honestly believe with all my heart that people just want to feel they've been heard. You know, if I felt I've been heard, then I, you know, okay, so the, the he's not going to go or she's not going to do what I think she should do, but at least I've been heard. How do you know you've been heard? Uh, that's exactly what this person was asking me. He said, I'm the leader in this situation, and how do I make sure that I let people know they've been heard? That's a great question. So I said, number one, ask follow-up questions. Number two, feedback to the person here is what I heard you say. Am I right? So you ask questions for clarification and you feed back what they said. You know, if you can feed it back to them, then they must have, you know, they must know that you heard them. And then the third thing that is so important is say, is not to promise them you're going to do what they suggested. And a lot of times that's where leaders get in trouble. They, they're too, you know, they might shake their head and, and, the, and that person walks out of the office. Wow. She shook her head and said, so, yeah, she agreed she's going to do it that way. And the next thing you know, you realize she made the opposite decisions. Wait a minute. You told me you were. No, I didn't. So it's important to be clear. I heard you, and I will take your input into consideration. This is the third thing that I say. I heard you. I'll take your input into consideration. But um, I don't know exactly yet what I'm going to do. But thank you for your input. And that's uh, where that sheriff felt so frustrated. So let's talk about the symptoms of a dictator. Here's what dictators think uh, or what they say or what they project. Do what I say because I'm the smartest. Because you see, the reason I'm the boss is because I'm the smartest. And since I'm the smartest, you know, I don't need input because I'm going to make the smartest decision. Or here's another thing. Do what I say because I'm the one in authority. And it doesn't matter whether I'm the smartest. I'm in charge. So, hey, you know what? I'm in charge. So you do what I say. Isn't it interesting that some of the people that get put in charge, I'm amazed at the amount of people that get into leadership that are completely incompetent. Any of you work for somebody like that or have any of you worked under somebody like that? And you're thinking to yourself, wow, I really don't understand. Now that I've gotten to know that person, I really don't understand how in the world they ever got that job. People fall into leadership by accident all the time because maybe they knew somebody or because of politics or because uh, by accident a board uh, didn't do their homework and they appointed somebody as the leader or even the pastor. And, you know, all of a sudden there was this cosmetic competition or this subjective uh, becoming enamored with this person and putting them in position without really getting to know them, without really doing their homework. And for a whole series of reasons, people... People fall into leadership, and then all these followers are stuck under incompetent leadership. Hey, if that's your experience, I feel your pain. And you got two solutions. Number one, hope that that person goes away and you get a better leader. Or number two, maybe you need to leave and go somewhere 
else. Okay, here's another dictator attitude. Do what I say because I am the spiritual leader. Wow. Using spirituality as the uh, the big stick to clobber people and say, you know what? God put me in charge, so submit to my authority. You see, all those things are so dangerous. And I don't think God ever intended us to lord it over those people under our charge. That's what Jesus taught. That's what First Peter 5 teaches. Don't lord it over those who have been put under you, but uh, shepherd them and be a servant leader. So, But dictators, man, they like to control. Uh, they like to be controlling. Dictators deny the value of each member of the group. They don't understand that actually every one of us should be uh, shareholders. I think it's the single biggest frustration out there that I hear from people, especially among young people, the fact that they are not in on decision-making. And, and the worst kind of decision-making, in my opinion, is behind closed doors. You know, that's the secret decision-making. And I believe nowadays, I know young people like authenticity, they like vulnerability, they like access to the leadership, and it just doesn't do good to behind closed doors to make all the decisions and then to come out and then to announce that it's been decided, da, 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 da. you know, that frustrates people. How to make the best decisions as a team, solicit input, listen to people, allow them to have a stake, you know, as much as possible, push the decision-making downstream. That's what I like to say. When I became the president of the nonprofit that I led for 20 years, I cannot believe how many decisions were made uh, by the board of directors that they had no business making and how many decisions were made by me, the president, and my inner council that we didn't need to make. Uh, and uh, well, like recruiting was just one example or hiring new leadership. And, and the board was so involved in so many decisions. And it, it, it made me feel like they didn't trust me because I should be able as the leader to hire the leaders that work for me. But I had to have board approval and they had to go in front of the board and they had to interview them and they appointed them. And that totally eroded my authority. And that was one of the many things that I changed. And then uh, there were just so many uh, policies. And I, I remember they used to, in terms of the budget, line by line, item by item, you know, this person's going to get a new printer and this person's going to get a new office chair and this person, the board of directors combing through as a whole board. And finally, I got it moved to the finance committee. And then finally, I got the finance committee to say, you know what, Hans, you have a financial officer. And, uh, you know, we're going to have one person with the board, the chairman of the finance committee, work with the finance officer that works for you. And we're going to trust you because what we're going to do is we're going to set boundaries. And I like that. That's policy governance. They're, they're, don't spend more money than you take in but we're not going to micromanage every single piece. They used to, when I started, they approved every single salary for every single person that worked in our international headquarters. Well, all that was pushed away from the board and then pushed away from me. And as much as possible, don't make decisions you don't have to make. Make the big ones and let the people have some decisions because they will love playing in the sandbox if they have the opportunity to build some of their own castles in that giant sandbox. So why is uh, it so popular to be a control freak and to be a dictator? You know what? It's easy. It's natural. 
it's cultural. It's worse in other countries than it is here in America because uh, I, I know in, I've spent a lot of time in Africa where you have these tribal cultures where you have a chief. I remember going to this one particular village in Mali, West Africa, and uh, there was a chief of the village. And when I came into the village, I was this huge honored guest, and they ushered me immediately right to the chief's little mud hut. And he was sitting in the door waiting for me, and we sat there together, big shot with big shot. <laughs> And believe me, that chief made all the decisions in that village. And that's kind of a cultural, tribal thing. And then you have other cultures. I remember being in Thailand where they still have a king. In Japan, they also have kings. And in many Asian cultures, in China, you've got uh, years and years of communism where you got this top down. So culturally, that pervades all businesses, all ministries, all churches, all organizations. So it's cultural. It's natural. And I, will, I do want to just say it is easiest. It's easiest to, uh, to be a dictator and to con control things. You know, it's easier for me to make a decision myself than to take the time to listen to input from others. It takes time. I got to have meetings. I got to listen to people. You know, we got to get on with it. I'm in my Myers-Briggs profile. I'm an IMTJ and Jay's judgment. Very decisive. Let's make a decision. Let's go. Okay. This podcast is how to make the best decisions as a team. I guarantee you a decision that is made with careful input and listening is a better decision. I'm a huge believer in Proverbs 15:22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Another way, another version of that says in the presence of many counselors, there is wisdom. I've always been of the opinion that a group and a team will make a better decision than one leader makes in isolation. Now, let me go on to add, I'm not saying, I'm not advocating every decision is made by the group, but I, I do believe in consensus decision making. In all my years of leading the nonprofit that I led, I don't think we ever voted on a single decision. We just built consensus. And if somebody felt very strongly that this was not the right play or the, not the right move, we just wouldn't move forward. And the leader can sense. Now, I remember many times somebody would be sitting in the in the meeting and saying, you know, I don't I don't particularly agree that this is the right thing, but I, I don't feel about it strongly enough to stand in the way, so I'll support it. You know, that's fine. So you're not going to get everybody 100% enthusiastic. But if there was a huge red flag by somebody, I, even one person in the group, I would not go ahead until either that person changed their mind or we changed course. And so that's really important. Uh, Proverbs fifteen twenty two. in the presence of many counselors, there is wisdom. No one likes to live under dictators. They take all the fun out of life. They are control freaks. Blessed are the control freaks, for they shall inhibit the earth. I find that dictators deny the value of individuals. You know, this is back to that theme of servant leadership. Uh, if you really believe that people are valuable and that they are smart and that they have a place on your team, of course you're going to get their input. 
I think that the major players in an organization are like stockholders. Now, you know, I have some stock in some companies, just a little bit of stock, and eh, but nonprofits don't have stock, and churches don't sell stock. But sometimes I think the people, especially the elders, the deacons, or if you're in ministry, the, the leadership team, or in your organization, the, the owners, well, the owners, of course, they do control, but in nonprofits especially, I think the leadership team and the people who've been around a long time are like shareholders because they do have a stake in the direction, just like that sheriff. He was a shareholder, but he felt like all of the leadership group together didn't even have 51% of the votes. Their votes didn't count. Their opinion didn't count. I'm a huge believer that the one who does the job as much as possible should decide how it's done. My son, Mark, used to wash my car when he was a kid. And, you know, he didn't wash my car the way that I washed my car. I'm one of these clean car freaks. I love to keep my car spotless inside and out. I don't know. It's a crazy German thing, I guess. But, um, you know, Mark would wash my car. And when he was done, he didn't wash it in the method and the approach that I did. But I had to encourage him. And sometimes I'd tell him, you know, you didn't quite get the wheels clean. But I had to encourage him and I had to allow him to approach the task the way he approached it. And th- and that's that's the way as much as possible. The one who do- does the job should decide how it's done. Well, the last thing I wanted to mention on the podcast here is flat organizational styles are the style of the future. This has very much to do with how the best decisions are made as a team. How many layers does a decision have to go through before it sticks in your organization? Do people at the bottom feel powerless to make any decisions and everything has to be run up the organizational layers and it could take weeks or months to get there? I've I've been in many places where that's the case and people feel so powerless and so frustrated. Again, think about How many decisions is my leadership team making right now that we don't need to make? Think about it and try to push those decisions away. Here's one way that I practice this. You know, here's something else. I find that many times I had a building manager that worked for me. Blake, what a great guy. And Blake was afraid to make big decisions. And I think one reason is that he uh, didn't want to own the results. Lots of people want you to make the decisions so they don't have to own the results. But I was a huge believer in making people make decisions. So Blake would come to me with a question about the building, you know. Uh, the elevator's broken and, you know, we got to put in a new uh, motor. I got these three vendors and I got these three quotes and here's the advantages and disadvantages. And I'm, he's like, first of all, I'm thinking, you know, don't bother me with this. You know, you're the building manager, but we had a great relationship. I liked him. And he, I happened to care since I was very much involved in building the building and it was my baby. So I would listen to him and then I'd say, which decision do you think? we should make. And he would squirm. And finally, he'd say, well, I think we need to do B out of A, B, and C. Let's do B. And I said, let's do it. Okay. He walk out the door and that's what would happen. You see, I helped him make the decision, but he wanted me to make the decision. And a lot of times people are scared to make decisions. So you have to teach them, give them the freedom, give them some string, let let out the string and let them make decisions and, and, and let them fail. You ever heard of the illustration that came from years ago in the Harvard Business Review about uh, the monkey on your back? You know, don't take people's monkey off of their back and put it on your back. I had this invisible kind of uh, sign over my door going on the way 
out, not on the way in, but on the way out. Above my door on the way out, it says, who's got the monkey? Because people would come into my office, and what they want to do is they want to take the monkey that's on their back, and they want to transfer it to your back. And so the way you transfer it is you say, okay, I'll take care of that, or I'll think about that, or I'll let you know, or I'll get back to you. All that is taking the monkey, and the, now you, it's the ball's in your court, the monkey's on your back, and that person's been released from responsibility. I always made sure when they walked out of that room, the monkey was still on their back. Flat organizations are the future. Flat organization means that the, there is direct access to the leader and the leaders, and people don't have to go through endless layers. Number two, leaders are authentic and vulnerable about their problems. It's important that leaders are authentic and vulnerable and not always trying to pretend that everything's perfect and that there aren't any problems. And, and nextly, uh, the leader talks openly about the problems that the leadership and the organization is trying to solve. A flat organization is ruled by passion, not by policy. And as much as possible, it's a simple organization. It's organic with as few layers as possible. That's a flat organizational Style. So let me finish by my list here of how facilitators, how great decision makers lead. They delegate decisions as much as possible. They involve others as much as possible. They view truth and wisdom as being distributed throughout the organization. They are developers. They see people as their greatest resources for ideas that will bring success. They give their people space to make decisions, and they let those who are responsible decide how jobs will be done. Let me remind you that all this material, a lot of it that I've shared today, is in my book, The Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Make, and that would be in chapter number five. I've also put some of these lists on my uh, show notes at hansmenzel.com, and I would just love to hear from you. Let me ask you a, a question. I would love to hear from you. Can you tell me about a terrible decision that you made that you really mishandled and how it kind of blew up in your face? Would you be willing to do that? I promise I won't quote you. Secondly, would you maybe share with me instead uh, something you learned uh, from this podcast that really helps you as a leader be a better decision maker? That would be great. I hope you uh, will continue to listen to my podcasts. I'm also going to have a future podcast coming up very soon about tough leadership questions. Stump Hans, can you email me a, uh, a tough question that I could answer on that future podcast? Just go to HansFinzel.com and go to the contact tab and send me a note. I would love to hear from you and answer your question. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today, and I hope that you will be the kind of leader that will make great decisions with your team. This has been Hans Finzel. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Answer Man. Remember that leaders make great things happen. We can always take our leadership to the next level. I hope you keep listening and learning and that you go out there this week and make a difference with your leadership. <laughs>